Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Another edition of PGA Grinders Live After Dark here on Roto Grinders. I, of course, am your host, Justin Van Zuden, and we have the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs this week with the Northern Trust, not to be confused with what used to be the Northern Trust in California in the past. This has been throwing me off all week. They changed their sponsorship this year to uh, sponsor this event, which used to be the Barclays, the first leg of the playoffs. So uh, make sure you aren't researching Riviera as the course for this week, because it is not. We will be in New York for uh, the tournament at Glen Oaks, which has not hosted an event on the PGA Tour before. So we'll break it all down for you. The top 125 golfers got invited, top 125 in the standings. Uh, Five of them will not be participating, so we've got 120 in the field. Uh, So it'll be just like an invitational tournament is. Those are usually the field sizes for those, and we will have a cut top 70 in ties as usual before breaking down into the smaller field FedEx Cup playoff events leading up to the Tour Championship in a few weeks. So uh, get Pollard alongside as usual. Uh, He's been telling us the exploits of the solar eclipse in the Pacific Northwest yesterday. I had nothing but clouds, so I was the bold soul that stared straight into that darn thing because I couldn't see anyway. Uh, Gib, did you have some better luck up there? Uh, I did. Um, we got, I think it was like something like 96% totality. Uh, so we camped out. Well, we didn't actually camp out. We we left this building that I'm sitting in right now, probably an hour before the actual eclipse eclipse. And uh yeah, as I was telling you guys, just before the main event, uh, I got a call. I took the call, and then when I looked back up, it was over. So I had a massive fail on my end, but it was still, I mean, it still got dark. It still got trippy. It still got cold. And I, I thought that the whole experience, even though I felt like it might have been slightly overrated, it was still pretty cool to be a part of. So, um, yeah, it, it was great. I know I've heard the word totality more times in the last 24 hours than I have in the rest of my life. So that was a fun experience there. But yeah, who was the person that called you? Give them a shunning for calling you right before the. uh, It's actually an ex-student here who is now a head coach at a small university uh, up north in Washington. He needed to know some uh, details about how to stream uh, their basketball games better. So he needed equipment, uh, equipment models and whatnot. But I could have waited five minutes. It could have. It could have. But I'm a nice guy. I try you to are, as many you people are. out as possible. Look at that. Always the helper looking to help others. Mr. Once in a century thing, just to answer a call. <laughs> well, there'll be another one in seven years if you want to go down to Texas or uh, up to the Northeast. And it's going to miss you out there. But 
Uh, Brian, uh, Mr. Debo, also along with us, Brian Devonshire. Did you, were you in the path there? I guess it would have flown through your neck of the woods as well. Yeah, well, I had 8% exposure to the sun, you know, but I should have went with the herd and gone to 0% exposure. Seemed like the way more optimal way to go for such a once in a lifetime experience. Interesting story though, we had 70 high school kids who were going to be on a rafting trip with us on the river and experience it out there. It would have been pretty cool and stuff, but they were late and then it turns out their bus broke down. And so we sent a bus to go get them. And by the time they arrived, it was like an hour after the eclipse, but <laughs> my bus broke down. What actually happened is coming down the hill into Summit County from the, from the tunnels up there. It's like downhill mountain, scary. Like the bus lost its brakes. And had to use one of these runaway truck ramps, like Ooh. all the way up this road. And they come to a halt and all the kids go, oh. and then the bus starts rolling back downhill. <laughs> it rolls back onto the freeway. Now these kids are all at the shop ready to go rafting. Like, what? So it was a pretty interesting day. Boy, I just had the boring old clouds. I don't have any other stories to tell about yesterday, but I've always wondered about those ramps because we live right next to one. And I was thinking, and I see tr like yeah, tracks going all the way up. And uh, whenever I do, I'm thinking that poor son, I won't say it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, roll backwards. Wow. Yeah, no, I lost I, my brakes this week too. It's it was super scary, but I did it. I was coming down the other side of that same hill. And I was going down to the golf course to hit some balls, and I lost my brakes like going one pulling into my parking stall, and then like boom, used the curb and like whoo. But I had like zero brakes, and I had just spent two hours driving down mountains. Like scary stuff, man. You had a watchful angel to uh, lose those for you at the right time, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I crushed them on the driving range, too. It was crazy. <laughs> Did you just drive the ball right into the car then to tell it well, who's boss after the brakes went out? No, what I should have done was uh, just have the tow truck come straight to the golf course, and then I could have hit golf balls. But instead, <laughs> I tried to be a hero and use my stick shift and drive it down the hill to the car shop. And I quickly avoided that after I crashed into some, almost crashed into some things and used a couple curves to arrest my speed. So that was a mistake, but you know, you were the brakes. Don't try to drive it anymore. Call the tow truck, especially when I have AAA. It was free. It was such a negative EV play. You love and learn. Simulator, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got a story to tell that's for sure mm -hmm. last week henrik stenson trolled the dfs universe by winning in a dramatic fashion on sunday in a weak field event uh over ollie schneiderjans who also played pretty well came up one stroke short but really no, nothing that was his fault i believe he had a bogey free round on sunday i was not on stenson last week i did have some ollie but had a few too many Miss cuts and MDFs uh, last week to have a really stellar week. Uh, Gib, how did things go for you? I created 10 lineups uh, before Bill Haas and his, uh, was it Saturday exit? Uh, I had one yep. team of six of six. So he ended up bowing out. And, you know, two of them, I think it was Streb and, um, oh, yeah. Uh, Streb and Michael Kim didn't do much on the weekend. So it was really relying on Oli to, to, uh, to win and to, to pick up just a little bit more money, but it, it wasn't a great week. I had too much Han, too much, um, Strillman didn't do that good either. Uh, and I had 50% uh, Ben Hung. 
So, you know, that didn't work out well. In the end, the Fiji International saved my behind and actually broke me even for the week in PGA or sorry, DFS golf in general. So thanks to my Fijian lads, which were mostly <laughs> Australian lads. Playing they, saved, they saved your bacon last week. Uh, yes. that it wasn't a great, you know, I, I mentioned it wasn't a great week for me either. And I was on some Bill Haas as well. And uh, Zach Blair was my kind of cheap flyer that was about 2% owned. He missed the secondary cut as well, which was bad for me. But even worse for Zach Blair to miss the second cut on Saturday. And then he ended up finishing 126th in the FedEx Cup standings. If he just would have made it to Sunday and done something, um, you know, finished 50th or something, he probably would have been fine for this week. But instead, he got passed up. No FedEx Cup playoffs for Zach Blair. No money for Justin last week. But, uh, yeah, that's too bad for him. Zach's tour status too, doesn't it? It might. I I can't remember if those are based on those. Might be top one hundred and fifty though. I can't ever keep those straight. I always have but, to look them but up. But hear this too. He was one hundred and twenty-six, and we have five withdrawals. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. I know, but that sucks even more. Oh you know, yeah, for him. Yeah, that that's a big, especially since one of the guys that withdrew is like one hundred and sixteenth, Bazelli. Okay, um, so I knew of four before today. Uh, Piercy, Adam Scott, um, Bazelli, like you said. and oh, yeah, Garcia Bazzelli. and Snedeker. Oh, and Snedeker. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There's your five. The, of the five, invite, the five invitees that are not playing, mm-hmm. uh, Sergio Garcia, Adam Scott, Brant Snedeker, Scott Piercy, and Dominic Bazelli are the five. The other 120 will play. Um, not unlike a guy like Garcia or Scott, sometimes they skip this first event. Garcia's got his status sewn up going forward, uh, so he'll be fine to continue in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, that's the story behind the field this week. As far as the course, pretty tough to gather data on it because it's never hosted a PGA Tour event. We have no course history, and it's part of a complex of three nine-hole courses, uh, so 27 holes on the property. They're using one of the nine hole courses in the in, in its entirety, and then they're splitting the other two nine, and they're using a few holes from each of them, uh, which is somewhat interesting. But a lot, not a lot of data out there regarding this place, other than what you've seen kind of anecdotally on the Twitter or whatnot this week. Uh, Devo, have you been able to dig anything up about Glen Oaks? I have not taken a look at the specific course just because of the complexities of the course. Uh, the first nine, half of them are on the white and red courses, and the back nine is the blue course. So I guess you could take a look at that. I did look into the scorecard, and it's a it's a long par seventy. It's uh, there really isn't an edge to either being a bomber or a bunter. The fairways are pretty wide, pretty easy to hit, but you definitely don't want to end up in the rough. If you're going to target driving this week, I think I'm going to look at good drive percentage. This seems to be a second shot course approaching the green. The greens are not too small, but there's definitely like sections of the green you want to hit. The greens are tiered, and if you're upstairs and you should be downstairs, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So um, heavy on strokes gained approach as well as proximity. Uh, the greens are going to be fast. The whole course is going to be fast, really. It's been dry out there for a while. And they cut it typically pretty short. It's going to rain uh, tonight for a little bit, but not enough to really change things, I expect. Um, so, yeah, you want the guys that hit the long irons well. The the par fours are mostly long. Uh, six of them are 400, 450 yards. Five of them are 450 to 500. So, 
you can be creative around the green. I'm looking at strokes gained around the green as well. And yeah, ownership, of course, there's no course history to pay attention to in recent form. So just another yeah, golf course, target those stroke scheme stats. It will be interesting to see where the ownership falls this week without the course history to go back on uh, for sure this week. Uh, Gib, anything for you on the course itself that's uh, stuck out to you as you've been looking at it? Um, no, not too much. It's pretty hard to gather, you know, it, it's it's sort of like a he said from interviews or he said it's like uh it feels like augusta a, it's augusta yeah. north everything's augusta these days it feels like so yeah i mean i just found it interesting that in the first four holes you have the longest par three you have the longest par five and the two longest par fours so are we to assume that those that's the toughest stretch right there is in the first four holes i mean i think it's a decent assumption why yeah. you would think so but so, uh, we don't know. We don't have yeah. any data. It's like finding information about this is about as easy as getting a root canal, uh, finding you know detailed information about the course. Other than it seems like most of the shots are uh, straight in front of you. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of blind shots on the golf course. Fairways seem somewhat wide. So um, those are kind of the few of the, the, the nuggets that I've gathered throughout the first couple of days of the week here. The course looks like this right here behind me. <laughs> looks like a golf course it's green uh -huh. it's got some sand maybe a little bit of water yeah um, but it is interesting to note that those first few holes could play pretty challenging only two par fives on the course since it is a par 70 one of them is a, a very stock one over 600 yards another one should be reachable in two for pretty much all the field if they're hitting from the fairway uh, that should play as the easiest hole on the golf course there is a, a one relatively short par four uh, that they could set up to be drivable maybe one of the days uh, that also has some water around it, so uh, that could be interesting. But other than that, I would expect this to kind of play as a challenging golf course just based on the length uh, for a par 70 and the fact that a lot of these guys haven't – all these guys really haven't seen it before. So, uh, Devo, anything to add before we dig in? Yeah, it's an old course. It was first built in the 20s, but it was renovated recently, uh, completed in 2014. They use guys who work on like Beth Page, Beth Page Black and Augusta. So that's why they're getting some of those correlations there. Um, it's a beautiful course, though. It was voted like best course or something like that in 2015. Was this like a public poll or? A I forget where I read it, man. You know how hard it is to keep all this stuff straight? <laughs> I am going to Google. I'm going to use Google as my friend and we'll find out. Um, it, was like it looks like it was a CBS uh, New York thing. Anyway, I won't spend too much time on that. We shall move into the picks for this week and get things rolling. Of course, with all the top players competing this week, we have a loaded top tier. Hideki Matsuyama, great recent form. Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, Rory, DJ, Stenson, Day, Thomas, Kepka, all those guys teeing it up this week. So... Debo, what does that do to ownership? Are we, we going to see somewhat diluted ownership on all these top guys because they're all playing this week? Yeah, I think it's going to dilute the ownership a bit. And I also think that people are going to be drawn towards a stars and scrubs type approach this week. I don't think that's necessarily wrong because the ownership is going to be distributed along these guys. Like there's good things to say about pretty much all these guys at the top. You know, Rory's going to have another one of those funny weeks with his rib thing going on, but uh, yeah, I, I expect people to be interested in all of these guys, and I don't think any one of them should be too heavily owned. 
I think you could really kind of ignore ownership on the top end with the exception of how lowly owned is Rory going to be. I mean, I've been shying away because it is nerve wracking with an injury scare and a guy that you don't know if he's, you know, if he's not playing well, he can very easily just uh, say I'm out of here. And that was the concern that a lot of people had with Stenson last week. And it burned you if you faded him because uh, he is a guy with winning upside and, and so is Rory. So I, I do think people will be scared away though. The injury narrative in DFS is very much a real thing. And, you know, I'm guilty of that as well. He was like 5% owned at the open, you know, when it was another similar pricing structure, like, like this strong field, lots of good cheap options and a bunch of good expensive options. So can we safely say Rory's going to be sub 10 K? Or you mean sub 10%? 10%? Yeah. Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Hmm. Or at least I right mean, at that level. Wow. That's exciting. I guess our first batch of ownership projections has him at kind of like at 14, but that's just the first batch is always mostly data driven as, as opposed to uh, starting to incorporate all the buzz and the, the talk around the industry. So uh, Gib, what do you think about this top tier guys with everybody in action this week? Yeah, out of the, I mean, let's just stick to the people above 10 K um, for me, at least uh, I like Fowler and I like Decky. I, I was, the very first time I uh, sort of was looking in my initial research, I was liking Rory, and then I felt like he might be owned a little bit. But, you know, as the days have gone on, I feel like that the inverse is happening and he his ownership is going down. He was striking the ball pretty well the last time he played. So, you know, if in a course in which we can't sort of have any data to fall back on, it's sort of – you. I am looking at those strokes gain T to green and, you know, the different uh, categories that make up that T to green. And so he has, he was uh, at the PGA championship doing pretty well. And um, I think it was approach shots or something like that. So there was part of Rory that I was looking at initially, but I sort of got off that. I'm looking more towards Fowler. He seems to be more consistent uh, of late. And so, you know, going with a higher price, but more consistent player. So Fowler could be the guy for me. I mean, when did this whole injury talk come up with Rory? It, you know, it's, it's basically spraying out of nowhere, really. Has it been like a longstanding thing? Or, I mean, he just, I, I don't know. And then there's conflicting reports. They said he was going to not play, and then he's going to play. And Yeah, um, I didn't know much about the injury. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at right now. Rory hits golf balls at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Uh, provides updates on his injury. That was six hours ago. It's been like a lingering rib thing, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. There was a quote from him last week that said, uh, you might not see me until next year. You might see me in a couple weeks. It just depends. So it doesn't sound like something that could just be gone. It sounds like it's something that he's dealing with. And apparently, I mean, if he's well enough to commit to the event, you got to assume he's going to give it his all. But again, the narrative is always there of, well, if he gets off to a bad start, you know, you could see like everybody talked about with Stenson last week, if he gets off a bit to a bad start, he's probably going to withdraw and then he wins the whole tournament. And of course, Rory is capable of winning a golfing tournament. So. Well, if he gets off to a bad start, it's going to be hard to win anyways. So. Correct. That's, that's the more I think correct. about this, uh, the more I like Rory. I mean, his stats look great for the course. And if his ownership's going to be that much reduced, 
you know, Vegas doesn't necessarily hate Rory. They've got him at 14 to one. So not to compare this to the British open, but he got off to a horrendous start there too. Yeah, but he's not going to withdraw from that. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying not to compare it, even though I just did. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I more and more been leaning towards Fowler and Hideki that have been the more consistent of, you know, some of these higher price speed. He just won a major too. So it's hard to say that he hasn't been consistent, but since his time after that winning the, the British open hasn't been what you would want from a player price is high. So, you know, Hideki and Fowler have been, so that's going to be where I'm sort of focusing my lineups. You know about Hideki's putter, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm sort of leaning more towards Fowler. Uh, but Hideki's never been a great putter anyway, and he's never liked a shot that he's loved. And so, you know, he's he's just the self-loathing golfer that he's always been. So, um, Hits yeah. it two feet from the cup in a, on approach, and he's torqued at himself because he didn't make it. Yeah, because he hates his putter. He thought about bringing five of them to the first tee on Thursday. He's, he was seen rolling around a bunch of different putters today. The, the, the top prize players are just trolling everyone right now. <laughs> He's just going to hit the pitching wedge off the tee every hole and hope for the best. Yeah. Rory and Hideki are like, let's troll these DFS people. <laughs> well, let's assume this. If we, if we, let's assume everyone's going to be 15% owned in this top range, just for the sake of analysis. If everyone's going to be the same owned in terms of a percentage from these top guys, Debo, do you have a favorite? I would like Spieth. He grades up better statistically than Hideki. He's in pretty much just as good a form, a little bit cheaper, and he likes his putter. He doesn't have five of them in the bag right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Gibbs, same question to you. Fala. $100 more expensive, uh, doesn't have the – for the casual golfer, it doesn't have the buzz as Spieth does because there's some people who will just pick Spieth no matter what because Spieth is Spieth and Fowler isn't quite Fowler yet. He's not on the same level as Spieth in terms – though he is popular, I, he's very popular, but I think Spieth gets more respect from the casual fan than Fowler does. All right. Uh, that takes us through the top five guys or so. Any interest in Dustin, Dustin Johnson, anybody? No, I like him, but I think he's going to be really popular. He's uh, just as likely to win as most of these other guys, according to Vegas. He's the cheapest of the bunch. I think that there's going to be a narrative of hitting it far due to the length of this course, which I don't think is necessarily exactly what you want, but he still grades out statistically excellently on the four to 500 yard par fours. Um, he's third off the tee lately, 31st on approach, 30th in proximity. So it's, it's really tough to argue with DJ. I'm definitely interested in him. If he's not going to be chalky, but my initial feel is that he will be. Yeah, I think he's starting to gain some steam, especially because his recent results are are better. Uh, not dominating the golf universe like he was earlier in the year, but they've been better. Uh, Gib, go to below the top five guys here. We've got a one thousand dollar price difference between Dustin Johnson and the next guy. So. A clear cutoff in terms of tiers there, uh, starting with Stenson at 9.8, Jason Day at 9.7, Justin Thomas at 9.4, and then Kepka at 9.1. You've got some pretty good form with these guys, of course. Uh, Stenson, four straight top 20s. He was your winner last week. 
Uh, Jason Day, top 10 at the PGA Championship, played pretty well on the weekend. Of course, J Justin Thomas won the PGA Championship, and Brooks Kepka has finished inside the top 15 in each of the last three majors. So we've got some good form guys here in the 9K range. Uh, Gib, what do you think about those guys? I, I think uh, Stenson might draw the recent form people. So I think his ownership is going to be much higher than it probably would have been, say, this tournament was played two weeks ago. Uh, so I'm sort of swerving off him. I got no interest in Dustin, really. Uh, Day, I think people might flock to Day to be contrarian from Stenson, which means it might raise his ownership up just a little bit. Um, and then you got Tom, uh, Thomas and, and Brooks being, you know, major winners this year. I want to say I want to fall down to Casey, but Casey's just going to be popular. So it's sort of which one do I like the most? Uh, I, I'm probably going to go with Paul Casey. I, I might stick away from uh, if I create a lineup of uh, Fowler, I might go Casey and then try and find some uh, value down below. Uh, but I, I like Paul Casey a lot. Yeah, Paul Casey hasn't missed a cut since January, so he's been playing pretty well this year. Really safe for your cash games. I even kind of like the GPP upside. You know, 5th, 11th, 5th, 13th, his last four tournaments, he's been really solid. A bunch of top 30 finishes, and uh, and he's gotten up in the top 15s lately as well. Now, the issue with Casey is he is certainly going to be popular. Even at 9K, he'll get some attention this week. I'm still fine with that in some lineups, but if you're looking to be different in a tournament or you're the type that subscribes to the fade the chalk theory, then Casey might not be the guy for you in this range. It'd be interesting to see how many people go to Jason Day, how many people go back to Stenson after his win last week. Uh, Jason Day's starting to get some buzz out there, I see on Twitter this week, so I think he's going to be higher owned than a lot of people think. Uh, Debo, what's your thought on the 9K range here? I think the 9K range is a really interesting one. Uh, I agree with y'all that Stenson's going to have a lot more ownership after his win last week, especially with all the long iron narrative that's going to be going on. I mean, this course really is honing in on your long irons, and Stenson's very good at that. Um, that'll take a lot of ownership away from the people who are thinking about playing day to be cute. I think that some people will be on day, maybe a few more than sh that should be, but I still think he's going to be significantly lower owned than all the rest of the guys in the 9K range. Yeah. Uh, Thomas is interesting again. I think he's going to go overlooked just like he did at the Tour Championship. Um, but I don't think you need to reach for him because I too love Casey. He's really, really good for him. He's really popping on all the stats. And 9K is a pretty awesome price. Uh, people are forgetting about John Rahm. And I kind of think people are almost forgetting about Brooks Kepka, but Kepka's 20 to 1 on Bovada, while Casey's 33 to 1. So if you're going to give me Kepka at lower ownership than Casey, even though I love Casey and he looks great on a spreadsheet, I'm not so sure he's the optimal play and I'm going to be fading him this week. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the Casey, you know, it's an interesting discussion because of the fact that his ownership is going to be so high. And we have other names in here that are certainly capable of outscoring him. It's, this is a golf tournament with all the top players in it. So could somebody at one tenth of the ownership 
in this price range, outscore Paul Casey? Absolutely. And that's certainly worth talking about in GPP settings and cash games. I think you play Casey in your, in your lineups this week. Any other thoughts, uh, Gib, on the 9Ks before we move along? And otherwise, you can talk about the high 8K guys that you like. <laughs> yeah, high 8Ks. Have you heard about my friend Louis Stace? I, I have not. I am not sure who he is. Yeah. No, I I don't want to say it too much, but I sort of really like Louis Ustazen. Um, You know, it, it doesn't I, – I, I get the – how would I say this? I didn't realize exactly how great his career has been so far until I saw that video. And then I started thinking, wow, he's only five strokes away from being a career Grand Slam player. There's a lot of what ifs in there, of course. You know, he has a runner up at the, uh, well, he's won a British Open before, but run up at the British Open, runner up. Uh, sorry, in a playoff in the British Open and playoff in the Masters and the other two uh, majors that he came runner up in, um, he only lost by three strokes combined. Of course, I'm talking about the video that he posted about him completing the Grand Slam of second place finishes and his uh, miming to uh, the the song "Rise Up." Rise Up, yeah, yeah, and that was that was that was very uh, you know that was a pretty cool thing and it was pretty fun to watch. And then you take into consideration he came second at the players. He's come second, I think, at a WGC event too. Uh, it was the match play. So I'm sort of buying into a, a bit of Louis, and hopefully he's going to go low on because Patrick Reed is the quote-unquote defending champion of this event, even though it's not at this course. Matt Kutcher is Matt Kutcher, and he always draws a lot of ownership. The people who think John Rahm is going to be the bee's knees are going to go to John Rahm. I'm hoping Louis might actually turn around and and be low on, but it's hard since he was, you know, his last event was a runner-up. So I don't know. I'm just leaning more and more towards Louis Eastason. So what do you guys think about that? Do bees have knees? Uh, yeah, I don't even know where I got that from. It seems like it's uh, – have you guys – Oh, it's that? a very popular phrase. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I'm okay. just asking. I thought it was just an Australian thing. I was going to have to sort of explain no, it. And I had no uh, idea where that came from. It's definitely a, it's definitely a thing. Uh, Gib, or actually Devo, any thoughts on Louie? Nah, not interested. I would much rather have Rom or Kucher. The only time I rostered Ustazen this year was at the Open Championship, and he finished pretty much at the bottom of the field uh, so i'm biased against him like gib used to be but now that he posted a fun video he's cool and gibbs eyes so given and louis ustazen have made amends mm -hmm. the urban dictionary tells me that bees knees is an old term that means cool that's the bees knees <laughs> no worries well yeah uh i even forget what i referenced that to so yeah oh um john Rahm. yeah so, yeah, I'm reading about. So when bees go from flower to flower, the nectar sticks to their legs. The phrase <laughs> bees knees means sweet and good because the knees of the bee are where all the good stuff is collected. Now, see, I, I don't know whether to trust Urban Dictionary on that one or not. <laughs> it's a fascinating question because everyone says the bees knees and they do have knees. That has been confirmed by a science website and not just Urban Dictionary. See, you learn something every day. Today, you learn that bees actually have knees. Do they there have ACLs? Go. 
<laughs> and if they tear them, they better, uh, you know, be replaced. There's, they're, they're definitely replaceable. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from Oosthuizen and Bees and talk about some of these other mid-8K guys. Uh, Devo, you said you liked Rom and Kucher a little bit better. Or elaborate on who you like in that range. Yeah, Rom hasn't been very good in the last, you know, 20 rounds or so. But he's still been fine. And, you know, he was pretty world-class for a long time there. Uh, people are forgetting about him. They're going to be very distracted by Casey. Uh, I think now is a good time to get on to Rom. He also has better odds to win than Paul Casey. Um, and I'm interested in Kucher. Uh, Kucher has excellent stats. He's equal odds as Casey to win. Uh, and, yeah, people are kind of forgetting about him, too, even though he hasn't really – come off of good form he just wasn't shooting the lights out as he was earlier but you know he's still having exceptional performances uh, yeah all these guys are really interesting to me and very fine pivots off of what's sure to be a very popular Paul Casey yeah Kucher really I, I don't know if people just get tired of rostering him after a while but you go back to the players since the players here's Matt Kucher's log over the last three months he was 12th at the Dean and DeLuca. He was 4th at the Memorial. He was 16th at the U.S. Open, 4th at the Scottish Open, 2nd at the Open Championship, 32nd at the RBC Canadian Open, 17th at the Bridgestone, and 9th at the PGA Championship. So that is one finish since May that he has been worse than 20th place. That's pretty good for anybody, especially a guy that, you know, kind of had the narrative before that he didn't really have that winning upside anymore or, or quotes such as that. So Kucher at 8,700, I, I think is uh, still a fine play. It all comes down to are people still going to roster him? Who knows? The, the price tag got really high for a while after the second at the open, but he's back to 8,700 in this field, which I think is reasonable for him. It, it comes down to who do people want in this range? They're going to take Casey and it might come down to how many people decide to take Patrick Reed since his form has been rounding into, into place with a second at the PGA Championship as well. So, uh, Gib, any other thoughts on these kind of mid-8K guys, Kucher, Reed? I'm just uh, trying to remember back. It was a couple of years back where I think it was maybe – it was when Kucher was getting a whole bunch of top 10s and he was just a top 10 machine um, and all the bars – I. For some reason, right now I have like the Golf Channel, one of the and um, the the people who do the analysis there going through my head about Kutcher and his top ten ability. Um, that was back like three or four years ago. Uh, now he's back to doing that. So yeah, I can see it because he has gone on some some of those streaks before where he was he's just top tenning. I think it was when he. I think it might have been right where Matt Jones beat him out at the Shell just before the Masters, and then he came back at the Masters and top ten again there. So, yeah, I you know we've we've seen that from Kutcher before, so I I don't doubt that he can do it. I just think that um, that's just something drawing me to Louis at the moment, which could be my downfall this week. <laughs> if Ustazen crushes you, are you going to go back to the Vendetta? Uh maybe. But, you know, a... it, 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 it's respectable what he's done, you know, it, 
it, the, the withdrawal, the only thing I hated about Louis was the fact that you couldn't trust that he's going to do four rounds. Even if he makes a cut, that he was going to complete all four rounds, he's going to withdraw on you. That That's the only sort of grudge that I had about it is he was always good for at least one withdrawal, it seemed like, every year. He hasn't done that in a long time. So he's about due, too. Yeah, so. yeah. So cue it up for right now. It's going to happen this week. By the way, if you played last week, Martin Laird withdrew after shooting a four under in the first round, which a few people asked me on Twitter and, um, you know, if, if I knew why. It came out later, I believe, that there was a death in his family. So hopefully everything is well with the Laird family with uh, that obviously withdrawing after a four under first round that had him in pretty good position, something pretty serious there. So hope all is good there. Moving on to the other 8K offerings, Daniel Berger, Mark Leishman, Justin Rose down to 8,300, as cheap as he's been in quite some time. Zach Johnson, last week's runner-up, Ollie Schneider-Jans, Kevin Kisner rounds out the 8Ks. Good six or seven names in there. Uh, Debo, you got some favorites? I think Berger's interesting after he pretty much burned everybody a couple weeks ago. Uh, he still grades out great statistically, but I think he's a trap because I think that Kucher and Rom and Casey and Kepka are such superior options. And I think it's worth it to pay up there, especially since ownership isn't going to be too hammered on anybody. I mean, I guess Casey's going to be the chalk, but these other options are strong, so maybe it'll dilute itself a little bit. Uh, Leishman is another interesting one to me at 8.4k, but he's been so good for such a long time and his ownership has consistently creeped up and his stats look good that I think he may be popular again. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to pay up to those, that 9k range or pay down. All right, Gibby, you got anybody you like in that area? What do you make of Justin Rose these days? I don't know. I mean, you take out the 12th and the 4th at the Irish Open and there was the BMW PG Championship over there in England. His finishes in on U.S. soil since the uh, the second place at the Masters is 65th at the Players, miscut the U.S. Open, uh, well, 54th at the British Open, 63rd at a non-cut event, bridge, uh, the Bridgestone, and then miscut at the PGA Championship. On U.S. soil, he has been horrible since Augusta. So that was a long time ago. It's, it's easy to see why he's ranked or priced down this low. I have a hard time pulling the trigger with the options around him, so I am not going to. Uh, if I have to move to anyone around here, it's oh, lost my place. Um, if I have to move anyone, I'm going to pay up for, you know, Reed or Kutcher or maybe down to uh, Kisna in the the price range of the 8Ks. So I think a lot of people are going to be on Oli, and, well, he's going to have increased ownership, I should say. Not a lot of people are going to be on him, but his ownership is going to be increased because of the runner-up last week. So I'm sort of staying away from some of these 8K players because uh, if people go balanced, this is where they're going to fall in the yeah, but it just seems like if you're if you're going in here, there's there's not a way to build a balanced lineup with these 8K guys that I feel super great about because I don't. I guess it's because I don't love a lot of these guys in the low 8Ks. I feel like Ali this this tournament's obviously a step up in class compared to last week. Gib, you talked about Justin Rose's finishes here. Um, Kisner, you know, his, his form has been hit or miss. And if there's Poe in these greens, which 
uh, he has admitted that he doesn't like. Now there's been some conflict as to whether they're, it's not the same POA that you see in California. It's more like bent grass, but it's actually POA, uh, POA with part bent grass. It, it, you just, it's hard to make heads or tails out of what these greens uh, actually have in them. But, um, you know, Kisner, I'm, I'm not super high on this week. So I don't love a lot of these low 8K options. Makes the true balance lineup a little bit difficult. You could go in the sevens and the nines and, and kind of make a balanced lineup that way while avoiding the, the five-figure salaries. But I don't know. I It seems like the most people will take the the kind of stars and scrubsy approach this week. Get a lot of the six and seven K guys, maybe get one of the top players and, and that's how they're going to build their lineup. That's my opinion. But I mean, you can always just get one player down under, you know, seven K and then go balance from there. I was, I don't know. Would you, that's true. Yeah. That's that. I would regard that as a balanced lineup as well. So you take one guy at 6,900 or something or 6,600 and then you have a high average after that. Then you have almost 9K or, yeah, all right, I get you. That that makes some sense. Um, The true kind of 81, 82, 83, those guys, there's just not a lot there to like this week as you guys both hit on. I think we covered that pretty well. Moving into the 7Ks, uh, Gib, I'll let you go first with these guys. Starting with Charlie Hoffman, Phil, Patrick Cantlay, your boy. You can talk about those guys first. Uh, Charlie Hoffman, the winner this week. Oh, you're just throwing it out there, huh? Just throwing it out there. Uh, I just, I, I like where he's at. Um, you know, he's ranked, uh, I think 11th in FedEx cup points. He's a, a great TD green player. He's getting tired of coming runner up in third place. I think he's the mentality of the, you know, he's got that one win. I think it was, uh, uh, was it, did he win this year? I'm not sure, but, um, He's it just seems like a Charlie Hoffman sort of week, and so I'm going all in on Charlie Hoffman. Wow, that's a, that's a bold stance, that's a it's a bold place to be. With but to, to his credit, Charlie Hoffman has kind of shed that label that he used to have of being an inconsistent guy that would always be up, down, and all over the place and missing cuts. And I mean, you look at his last 10 tournaments, there's not a missed cut on there, and a lot of really solid finishes. So Hoffman at 7,900, reasonable price for him. Uh, Devo, what are your thoughts on some of these high 7K guys? Yeah, I like Hoffman a lot too, but I think he's going to be pretty chalky. Everything checks out for him. He's got good Vegas odds for the price tag. I mean, he's more likely to win than Berger is, and he's a whole bunch more cheaper. Uh, stats are excellent. Form is excellent, and you can't argue with the price. So I see Hoff being very popular in, uh, man, this bold stance from Gibb. That's so atypical of him. He's, <laughs> I know he's it's thrown me off. Reserved. It's like, thrown man. me off as well. So I, I think I just kind of want to unregister because I still can't bring myself to play a chalky Charlie Hoffman at 7.9 K with some really fine options around him that I think are going to be significantly less popular. But if he's already going to win, then I should just unregister pre. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's always a tough week for me if Charlie Hoffman's a winner because I'm always, I always tend to be underweight on him. But uh, hey, if Gibb promises me a victory, I'll ride it and uh, just blame Gibb if it if it doesn't work out, or perhaps Gibb just didn't want to talk about Patrick Patrick Cantlay and he wanted to throw us off the scent of of having to talk about him. Uh, you can rust to him and Charlie Hoffman together. <sighs> yeah, it's part of that balanced lineup, right? Yeah, pretty much. Hey, Cantlay has. Uh, cooled a bit uh, he's still making cuts but his recent finishes nothing really to write home about 22nd 35th 48 33rd 
Uh, didn't have any rounds under 71 at the PGA. But still making cuts and collecting paychecks, which is good for Patrick Cantlay. Other options kind of between 7.5K and 7.8K and mid to upper 7Ks. Uh, anybody else for you, Devo? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys in here that I'm interested in, which uh, kind of has me excited about the Stars and Scrubs approach. I think that there's plenty of ways for me to differentiate without taking guys that aren't very good. I'd be happy with my lineup, both in projections and ownership. So uh, I like Kevin Chappell, 7.7K. He's excellent off the tees, excellent on the approach, and he's uh, better than 30th in the field on all the things I'm looking at. Um Garrigus is in pretty strong form. He's got nice Vegas odds too. Molinari, Francesco Molinari. I wish I played a whole bunch more of him at the Open, the Players Championship, excuse me. But he's excellent with the long irons. He's really good off the tee. He's really good on the approach. He's going to keep it in the short grass and the fairway. He's strong on the par fours. He's really good on proximity. So I like him a lot as a play. Uh, I think Webb Simpson is going to be a little bit popular after his strong finish after being chalky last week which is just fine with me because I'd rather have Jason Duffner over Webb Simpson. Better both off the tee and the approach and uh, strong in the par four games and excellent in the proximity. So that's four really, really good options there. Uh, well, three really. Chapel Molinari, Duffner, I'm heaviest on in that mid-7K range. I'm with you on uh, potentially fading a chalky Webb Simpson that never sits well with me either. And last week uh, he was really popular. I liked him a good bit last week, but uh, this week I, I think I'll hop off that train before it falls off the tracks, take a week of success, and move along. Gib, your thoughts on some of those guys in there? There are a lot of interesting names in that price range. I love uh, – yeah, I I couldn't agree with more with Devo. Uh, I like Ch Kevin Chappell. He's a great uh, tee to green player. Uh, Molinari, for as short as he is uh, off the tee, he is even better tee to green, it seems like. He – you know, he's very much a uh, in the mold of a, you know, minus sort of the putting is uh, reminds me of uh, Luke Donald back when Luke Donald was actually a name, you know, hitting short player, hitting uh, fairways and hitting greens. Doesn't putt like Luke Donald does, but, you know, that's his bread and butter is fairways and greens, fairways and greens. And he's really good tee to green because of it. So. I like Francesco. I just sort of chuckle that Robert Garrigus and Francesco Molinari price the same. One's ranked 14th in the world and the other one's ranked 180th in the world. So it's sort of hey, like... Hey, uh, hey, hey, now Robert Garrigus has a 10th at the Barbasol and a 6th at the Barracuda. I mean, I that you, you can't just you can't compete with those numbers. I mean, yeah, just like Jerry Maguire. I, cannot, I cannot bash the guy because oh, it was oh, only... It was only three weeks ago when I was the head conductor of the Robert Garrigus train at the RBC Canadian Open, which admittedly had a much, much weaker field than this. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I was the conductor of that train at 6.6K, and he came fifth. So that was, uh, that was a successful week. Now he's $1,000 more expensive, and the field is much better. So I will not be playing Robert Garrigus this week. No. But I also will not besmirch the good name of Robert Garrigus on the air. So you need that whenever you talk about uh, Robert Garrigus from now on, you need to have a conductor's hat right next to you. <laughs> you just put it on and say, my kids Robert love trains. So we have a whole bunch of hats and stuff. I can, I can get that. 
Yeah. One, one rant I'm going to have about trains is Thomas the Tank Engine. And the fact that in the US they call him, what, what, what do they call the conductor there? Mr. Topping Hat. It is the fat controller, the British version. He's called the fat controller, but politically <laughs> correct. I just want to get it out there. It's bugged me for about a decade. So, um, yeah, I like Duffner as well. He's a, you know, if this turns into a, a ball striking sort of fest, he's always been a, a pretty good ball striker, horrible on the greens, but he's not losing strokes putting like he usually has in the past. So that is one positive for Mr. Duffner. So I, I couldn't agree more with some of the picks that Devo had. So we're in agreement there. All right, and go ahead and you can move along to your lower 7K options that you like. And why is Tony Finau 7,300 on DraftKings? Because they hate him. I mean, some DraftKings pricing guy has the Tony Finau's got some dirt on the DraftKings pricing guy. No, the person who's in charge of the pricing, he got some sort of food poisoning from the Frosty Flakes, and he hates every Tony ever since. So that's the only reason why I could come up with why Tony Finau is that low, sort of like the inverse Patrick Cantley why he's priced so high sometimes. So, you know, Tony Finau has done nothing to be priced down this low. So I, I have no qualms in rostering uh, Tony Finau, except that he might be chalky. So if you do want to fade the cheaper chalk, uh, then you have to be fading uh, um, Tony, Tony Finau. Might actually pivot from Tony to Jamie Lovemark, who's been very solid um, of late. So he's a guy that can do pretty well uh, tee to green as well. Yeah, Finau, we have, uh, I have too many tabs open, but somewhere in the vicinity of 35% projected ownership <sighs> as the highest guy in the field in terms of uh, ownership, oh, 25%. I think it will be higher than that. But anyway, he's projected as the highest owned guy in the field. I would imagine that uh, that grades out to an auto fade for Mr. Debo. Oh, yeah, it's not even close. There's so many other options there that are going to be significantly lower owned than whatever Finau is going to be. So, uh, yeah, easy, easy fade for GPPs. I mean, you know, it's not that hard of a fade either. It's not like just, you know, gritting my teeth and not doing it. He just doesn't grade out that well statistically for this course. He's, uh, you know, only been 53rd in the field of the approach, 68th in the long par fours. Good in the short ones, but 97th in proximity. So I could see Finau getting in trouble. Very easy page. All right. Who do you like in his stead then in that uh, area? Well, I'm kind of interested in Keegan Bradley, although his Vegas odds have me scared a lot. Um, I don't think it's a spot to go, but it's the first time in a while that I've actually been interested in him. Um, Scott Stallings also has pretty interesting stats, but terrible odds too, like Keegan. Um, so I think I'm kind of avoiding these guys, but there's a couple of dudes down at 7K who both have excellent odds, form, and stats and shouldn't be terribly popular. That's Ian Poulter and Gary Woodland. I think I'm leaning towards Gary Woodland, uh, but I could definitely change my mind if ownership projections change. Yeah, I think Poulter is interesting this week. There's a lot of people that just don't like Ian, rostering Ian Poulter sort of like me not rostering Grayson Murray. There are some people that just won't roster Ian Poulter, and his form has been fantastic over the last couple of months. Uh, so I think he definitely is a live play down there in that price range, a nice pivot off of uh, the popular Tony Finau. I think Ryan Moore is interesting as well. If this is going to play as a second-shot golf course, I like him. Uh, Wesley Bryan could also succeed if it's a second-shot golf course, but he's been very hit or miss lately. Uh, definitely only a GPP option there. 
there's some of the other guys I'd throw out in that range. Uh, you got any other 7K guys, Gib? Uh, 7K guys, no. I mean, I'm not really on Ian Poulter at all, but I just, I'm one of those guys who just can't stand rostering Ian Poulter. That's okay. Uh, you know, I, I rostered Keegan Bradley the other week, so, you know, I can't do Keegan and Ian Poulter in the same month. And and Louis Oosthuizen probably this week, so... You know, I, I'm, I'm breaking all my rules, guys, and I'm afraid. So I, I guess I should rust uh, uh, Ian Poulter. But, um, you know, it's not really any players down here until we get underneath 7K, uh, like one Charles Schwartzel. Should I go Louis and Charles? No, oh, you got to double down. Got to double throw, down? Throw Brandon Grace on there. He's right there, too. Uh, well, I, if I double, if I triple down, I might go contrarian and go Rory Sabatini for some reason, just, just to be contrarian, if I'm going to go the, the, the triple South African option play. but uh, you I was know, so th- upset the other day, by the way. Rory was somewhat chalky last week. Uh, Rory Sabatini, that is. Yeah. And it was, you know, that was an easy fade for me. So I faded a 15% on Rory Sabatini or whatever he was. And he made like a 50-foot, 55-foot putt on Sunday. And he can't putt half the time. It was very irritating to see him make a 55-foot putt. And he got tied for the lead for a while, and that irritated me. But uh, he, he fell back to, what, fifth or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, it was one, still a team, good week. one team of Ollie and Rory and three missed cuts. Well, that's, uh, that's a waste of a couple good finishes there. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, you know, I I don't want to take it all up. So, you know, I dip below 7K. So I don't know if you guys. Oh, that's want- all right. You can throw, throw a couple names you like out there under 7K real quick. Um, I, I'll leave one behind because I feel like you guys will be talking about him. But I will speak about one, David Lingmuth. I'm just going to go all the way down to the bottom and, and use my time on that. I don't think David Lingmuth should be 6.6K. I, you know, the cheapest, one of the cheapest options there. I think he's too good of a player to be, you know, 6.6K. You know, this course is only a fraction shorter than uh, Firestone, which is the WGC Bridgestone. He has an averaging finishing position of six and a half at the Bridgestone. So in a course which is longer than this for a past 70, he actually plays better. He plays better on some of these tougher courses. If this balances out to be a tougher course, then I really like David Lingworth, especially at the cheapest price possible then you can go up there and play balanced afterward. All right. Devo, you got some thoughts under 7K? Yeah, there's a couple guys down there that I'm interested in. Um, like Chad Campbell, 6.9K. He's got real nice foreign stats, but he's got bad odds. Uh, Bud Colley, 6.9K also. Kind of like Campbell, but he's got better odds. Uh, I'm interested in Graham Delot, 6.8K. He's got really good odds and stats, but I think he's going to attract a little bit of attention, especially if you pay attention to Shan Fair fan share sports and Ches Reby, who was popular last week, 6.7 K grades out really well statistically, but I don't think I need to get this low just because I'm not really looking at the guys in the mid eight K range. And yeah, I think I can make a pretty nice lineup with a stud and a mid guy and a bunch of these cheaper guys in the 7k range really ignoring the 6k yeah there's no real need to take a ton of guys down here obviously you get your lower in the standings kind of guys at the uh 66 6700 price point i agree with most of those guys uh campbell i like the odds are a little bit concerning graham delat is worth noting in the last tournament his back did seem to be bothering him again 
uh, he got some TV time and it, it looked like he was uncomfortable. Now that maybe it was just a bad shot or time that they had him on TV, but uh, keep that in the back of your mind. It's an, at least an interesting nugget to potentially fade him this week anyway. So that's going to do it for us this week. Time flies by. Good luck with your lineups at the Northern Trust. We will be back next week for the Dell Technologies Championship, the next leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs with the top 100 guys in action. So check us out next Tuesday, same time, same place. We will see you then. Till then, best of luck, everybody. Take care. Lowe's knows you'll do it right to find the right gifts for dad this Father's Day. We do it right, too, with deals that'll make dad as proud as his perfectly seared steak and his perfectly manicured lawn. Now get a Charbroil 4-Burner Advantage Series gas grill for just $169 and pick up your choice of Craftsman gas or electric string trimmer for only $99 each. Make this Father's Day his best one yet and do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Charbroil offer valid through 612, Craftsman offer valid through 619, U.S. only. Pros do it right by relying on trusted brands to get the job done. Lowe's is here to help with more of those brands in stock like DeWalt and Little Giant. We stock the largest in-store selection of DeWalt power tools and accessories of any national retailer. Now save $60 on a two-pack of DeWalt 20-volt max batteries, now just $99. Plus, we now offer the Little Giant King Combo Ladder, the world's first step, extension, and leaning ladder, giving you the flexibility to do just about any job for only $159. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 616, U.S. only.